All right, take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30, we're going to continue through our study, the first book of the Bible. Today we're going to look at an interaction between Jacob and his son-in-law Laban. This family had some issues, and we're going to see today that wealth and prosperity was one of the issues that caused a lot of tension in their family. Wealth and prosperity can do that, can it? It's a great blessing, can also be a great burden. We're going to see that in today's story. Let me set the context. You remember Esau and Jacob were the twin uh, sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Esau was the older one. He was born minutes earlier with Jacob literally grabbing onto his hill. That's how he got his name. Jacob means the one who grasps the hill. Jacob came second. God said early on that that. Jacob is going to be the leader. Esau is going to serve Jacob. The older is going to serve the younger. Except sometimes we know God promises and we want to take things in our own hands. And that's what uh, Rebekah and Jacob did. They shortcut God's plan and they tricked Isaac, the father, into giving the firstborn blessing to, um, to Jacob. Esau was furious. He consoled himself just thinking about killing Jacob, and Jacob had to run for his life, and he left his home there in Canaan, and he ran as a fugitive in order to escape and live. That's where God meets uh, Jacob as he is running for his life. The first night, he camped out in a little city called Luz, and there God spoke to him. I want to read this. This is in uh, chapter 28, uh, verse uh, uh, 13, this is so critical to our story, and it's so critical to Jacob's life. We're, there's a lot of story here today. We're going to go through it as fast as we can. I want to get to three lessons at the end, I believe we learned from this. All right, so God, in a dream, tells Jacob as he's sleeping, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you your descendants. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and the east, to the north and the south. All the people of the earth are going to be blessed through you and your offspring. Now remember, Jacob is a fugitive running for his life. He has nothing. God says, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. I'm going to be with you. I'll watch over you. Wherever you go, I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done with you what I have promised. And that changed Jacob from running from a few, as a fugitive. We see the next verse. We talked about this last time. It put a spring in his step. He had a mission from God. And God said, and Jacob said, I heard your promise, and I can't wait to get back here. In fact, he changed the name of the place from Luz to Bethel, house of God. And I'm going to come back here, God. You be with me. If you do what you promise, give me the food I need. Give me the clothes I need. Protect me. Bring me back safely. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to worship you here at the house of God. I'm naming it the house of God because this is what I'm going to come back and do. Well, Jacob kept going. He arrived in Haran, his mother's relatives, and he met his mother's brother Laban. He fell in love with Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel. He had no money. He had no dowry. And so he said, here's the deal. I'll work for seven years in order to pay, to, to pay the dowry for Rachel. And uh, it's, it, Scripture says he loved her so much that it was like just a few days. Seven years went by just like that. Well, during the wedding night, Laban switched daughters. 
The old switch to bride trick. It happens often, doesn't it? And, and Jacob woke up thinking he was going to see the love of his life, and he saw Leah, the older daughter. He didn't love her. And Jacob confronted Laban. And Laban said, oh, man, I just forgot to tell you something in all those years. See, we don't do that here. Our custom is to always have the older daughter married first. But here's what you can do. I'll go ahead and give you the younger daughter as your wife. You can have her now, but you just have to work another seven years. So Jacob said, you know, what else? What other plan is there? So he agreed. Now it's 14 years later. When we come to our passage today, it's 14 years later. He's worked for Leah seven years. Leah got, he got married to Leah, got married to Rachel, worked another seven years. And we come to uh, chapter 30, chapter 30, verse 25. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, by the way, he, has, he now has 12 kids. He has 11 sons and a daughter. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my homeland, literally my place and my land. I got to go back home. Give me my wives and children for whom I served you, and I'll be on my way. I've done everything you've asked me to do. You know how much work I've done for you. But check this out. Look at verse 27. Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay with me. I have learned by divination, and again, God is not condoning that. It's just a statement of fact. That's what Laban did. That the Lord, he blessed me because of you. God blesses you, and I get the benefits of that. I like that. Stay here with me. And then he added, name your wages, and I'll pay them. Look at verse 29. Jacob said to him, you know how I work for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I've been. I get it. It's because I've been here serving the Lord that he's blessed you. But now... Maybe I can do something for my household. I don't have anything. I've just been working for you. I've been paying off my wives. But now I can do something for myself. Laban said, what shall I give you? And look what uh, Jacob says. Don't give me any. I don't want anything from you, Laban. But here's the plan. Here's the plan. Jacob said, here's what I'm going to do. I will go ahead and I will, uh, I'll tend your sheep. I'll tend all your flock. I'll keep doing that, just like I've been doing. But here's what I'm asking. In exchange for that work, I want the rare animals. So in that day, sheep were white. Most sheep were white. And the, the goats were, were, dark, were black or dark brown. So I want the speckled or spotted lambs, the speckled or spotted goats, like this picture up here. You keep the ones on the right. They're yours, and I'll take care of them. You give me the, one, the rare ones. The one on the left, I'll take those, and uh, I'll, I'll be able to, to build my flock through that. And look at verse 34. Laban said, that's a deal. You get the rare ones. There are not many of them. You can have them. He agreed. But Laban was always the deceiver, right? Look at verse 35. That same day, he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats all that had white on them, and then all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his son, so he took them away from Jacob. And then they put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob continued to tend the rest of his life. For some reason, Jacob doesn't confront him. He says, okay, I get it. The relationship had been peppered by deceit, so Jacob just went to work. 
there was this common custom, it was really a superstition, that um, whatever an animal saw, maybe even a person, saw, if they saw a vivid picture of something during conception or pregnancy, that the embryo would take on what they saw. That would impact the embryo. That make sense? Well, it doesn't make sense. It was a superstition, right? <laughs> but Jacob falls for it, and he says, here's what I'm going to do. So he went out, and he got these branches off the tree, and, and they were big branches, and he stripped barks off, uh, pieces of the bark off. So you had dark bark, and then down to the, to the limb itself, the wood, white, dark, white. And when the sheep and the goats came to mate by the troughs, he put the, the streak bark there, thinking that was superstition, right? If you saw it during conception or pregnancy, it would take on, the embryos would take that on. And he thought in that way, he was going to build his flock of streaked and speckled and spotted goats. Now, that was a superstition. Despite the superstition, in spite of what he did, God blessed him. It wasn't because of the bark. It was because of God's hand on this man. Remember, he promised, I'm going I'm to bless the world through you. And so the sheep that started coming, and he did do selective breeding, which was fine. That's scientific, right? He took the, when the, when the strong female sheep came, he put the bark out. And through that, he, he became very prosperous. Six years later, Jacob, who, who had come with nothing and was getting ready to leave with nothing, six years later, look at verse 43, in the same way, the, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and men and camels. Man, when Moses wrote that, the Israelites would have perked up because in that day, he had a camel. You were, you were a wealthy person, but he didn't have one camel. He had camels and donkeys. You know, um, money and, uh, and stuff can make us pretty comfortable, can't it? Everyone in this room, compared to the rest of the world, we're pretty comfortable. We just had a group come back from Honduras. They saw some stuff over there. We just had a group come back from Mathari slums. And I was talking to one this morning, and he said, I can't believe how happy those people are with nothing. So we get pretty comfortable here. And if you're not comfortable, remember what Jesus said, money is a God, or can be, and then there's a living God, so you guys serve one or the other. And if you're not careful, if we're not careful, our prosperity can dull the sound of God's voice, Right? Remember, Jacob wanted to leave and go back six years earlier. He had nothing. Now, he's extremely rich. And so it seems like he starts to say, man, if I gained all that in just six years, I'm going to stay another six years. I mean, if a, if a little is good, a lot is a little more is better, and then too much is be just right for me. So I'm going to gain all that. Then I'll think about leaving. So he started getting comfortable. But when you do that, when we get comfortable, you're going to discover, if you haven't already, 
that God intervenes. He doesn't want, if you get comfortable and don't exercise, you're going to be a flabby person. God doesn't want flabby Christians. So he's going to intervene, and he's going to stretch you, and he's going to work with you so that you're going to grow spiritually. And sometimes he's got to hit us pretty hard. Look what he does with, um, with Jacob. Well, Jacob heard, look at chapter 31, verse 1. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and gained all this wealth from what belongs to our father. Ah, he's taken it from us. That's our inheritance. We don't like that. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not like it used to be. I love how the Hebrew, the Hebrew language is very vivid. And so the attitude, the word we translate attitude literally is Laban's face was not with him. When he was with Laban, he kind of saw Laban turning his face. You know, like when you're walking down the hall and there's someone coming that you don't want to talk to, you kind of turn your face. It doesn't happen here. It happens at other churches. Not here. <laughs> but you kind of turn your face a little bit, right? Attitude change. And then again, the description, uh, when it says uh, not what it used to have been, or sometimes you translation like formally, literally three days before yesterday. Three days before yesterday. Not like it was. So Jacob knows there's some tension because of this prosperity. That happens in families, doesn't it? I, um, I watched some of my mom's family take each other to court over an inheritance battle. That was ugly for years. Still happens. Well, God makes it a little uneasy for Jacob with the family, but then he drives home the point in verse 3. God said to Jacob, time to go home. You've been here for six years. You're getting a little comfortable. You've got a lot of stuff. Time to get out of here. Time to go to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. And then what's he say at the end? What's he always say at the end? I will be with you. Well, Jacob said, if I go home, I got to have my wives and my children with me. And so they were living uh, kind of all in the same area in tents. So the scripture says that that Jacob got Rachel and Leah and he took them out to the fields. He took them away from where uh, Laban's sons or Laban could have, could have heard the conversation. And he said, guys, look, you know what I've been doing. I've been working for your dad all these years. For 20 years, I've been working for your dad. You know he is a deceptive man. He's changed my wages 10 times. You know that. Your dad's been blessed because of me. But it's time to go back home. Are you with me? Your dad's not with us anymore. His attitude's changing. Are you with me? Look at chapter 31. Uh, verse 14, Rachel and Leah replied, well, do we still have an inheritance of our father's estate? Rhetorical question. We don't even have an inheritance in our father's estate. Does not he regard us as foreigners? His attitude's changing toward us as well. Not only has he sold us, but he used up what he paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God tells you to do. There's no reason to stay here. So he has his whole family on his team. It would have been a great time for him to go to Laban and say, Laban, 20 years, we've had a great run together. It's been fantastic. Let's throw a feast. 
Let's celebrate. You can, you can celebrate your grandchildren. You can celebrate your children. You can celebrate the prosperity that God has given you because of me. And let's just, let's party, and then we're going to go back home. That's what he should have done, but he didn't do that. He was afraid. Even though God said, I'm with you, he was afraid. It's hard to relate to that, isn't it? It's, it's not hard to relate to that. God says, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But, oh, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. So he just takes off. Loads the kids up on the camels, takes off. Look at verse verse 19. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, so Laban's out, he's got a job to do, that's going to take some time. Rachel stole her father's household gods. We'll come back to that in a second. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban by not telling him he was running away. He should have, but he didn't. So he fled with all he had crossing the river, that'd be the Euphrates River, and he headed for the hill country of Gilead. Headed for the hill, headed for the hills, running from Laban. So isn't it interesting? Jacob always has that deceiving spirit. He leaves Haran to go back home the same way he left home to go to Haran, a fugitive on the run. Well, Laban comes back, and um, he sees that everybody's gone, and, and uh, he starts chasing him. The word that he is used in Scripture for chasing is like an army chasing another, their enemy. And these guys are enemies now. This is not a, you know, any family love moving back and forth here. These guys are enemies. Chases him. Seven days, he finds him. They confront each other, and Laban says, Look, I don't know why you did that. You, you took my children. My daughters, you took my grandchildren. I didn't even get a chance to kiss my family goodbye, Jacob. You took them. And by the way, not only did you take my family, but you stole my household gods. Why would you do that? And Jacob said, look, I was afraid of you. I get it. My bad. But shouldn't have done that. I get it. But I did not steal any of your household gods. I can guarantee you that. In fact, I know that so strongly. If you can find those gods you're accusing me of stealing, I don't appreciate the accusation, but if you can find them, the person who stole them, they're dead. Laban said, game on. So he goes in to Jacob's tent. He searches all over. The word for search is like he's just throwing stuff all over looking. He goes in to Leah's tent. Nothing there. Nothing in Jacob's tent. He goes into Rachel's tent. Look at verse 34. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. And Laban searched through everything in the tent but found nothing. Camels? She's sitting on the camel's saddle. And Rachel said, Father, forgive me. I know I should stand up in respect, but... uh, The custom of woman is upon me. I like that translation better than the rest. The custom of woman is upon me. So I can't stand. And he says, all right, that's fine. Just stay seated. Now, let's stop here for a second. Why in the world did Rachel steal the household gods? We're going to see in a second, it wasn't because she wants to worship them. 
First of all, she doesn't want to worship him because she put him in a camel's bag saddle. Camel, camels are nasty animals. You ever been around a camel? Nasty. Unclean. So you would not put idols in a, in a camel's saddle bag. Secondly, there were times when men and women could not enter the temple because they had done something that was unclean or they were going through something that was unclean. For the woman, the time of women upon her, that was a period of uncleanness. And she's sitting on the idols. So it's not just, she has no intention of worshiping those idols. And an unclean animal, and she's sitting on them. Why? I believe, it's not in the text, I believe she's getting back at her dad. Remember the wedding night when she should have been with her uh, husband, Jacob? He didn't let her go. He kept her back some way, maybe by force. And Leah went instead. Just think of what that would have been like that night for her, knowing that her sister was with Jacob instead of her. And she knows her attitude, the attitude of her dad. So she's getting back at her dad, I think. So he takes the bags, takes the gods, puts it in her bag. Well, I won't read the whole passage, but you can read this. Like 20 years of anger comes out of Jacob. He says, you accuse me of something I didn't do. You looked through every place. You didn't find those gods. Why don't you get them? Go get the gods. Put them here before me so that everyone can come and see the gods that you accuse me of stealing. Can't believe you did that. I worked for you for seven years for Leah. I didn't know it was going to be Leah. Then I worked another seven years for Rachel. I worked six more years. Twenty years I have worked with for you, and you have done nothing but deceive me. You've changed my wages ten times. Our relationship has been nothing but deceit. You continue to do that, and now you accuse me of something you can't even present. I've, I'm done. I've had it. I mean, you read, read uh, you can read uh, those passages in uh, like 31 there where, where he just lets it go. 20 years of frustration is coming out. And Laban says, all right, Okay, I didn't find the gods. Probably still have them, but I didn't find them. Let's make a deal here. Again, this is not a loving conversation going on here. This gets into a legal conversation. Here's the deal we're going to make. Laban says, you're going to take care of my wife. You're going to, you can go. Because as he was coming, I forgot this passage. It's pretty critical to the story. Let me go back. Chapter 30, verse 24. As Laban was going, God stopped Laban in a dream and said, don't say anything good or bad to Jacob. Laban was going to go take him out, take his family back. God said, you don't touch the guy. So Laban said, I get that. God told me not to. I could if I wanted to, by the way. I just want you to know, Jacob, I could take you out right now. But God told me not to. But you better take care of my daughters. And if you marry another daughter, you better not do that. You marry another wife. You better not do that. You better treat them well. You take care of them. You better take care of my grandkids. And so Jacob said, I'm going to do that. And you better not keep pursuing me. And so Jacob got a pillar. And he got all his relatives to put rocks around it. So they're participating in the covenant, in the treaty. And they put up the pillar. And uh, look at verse uh, uh, chapter 31, verse 48. Laban said, the heap, uh, this heap is a witness between you and me today. This is what, we, this is, what is called Galid. It was also called Mizpah, a heap of stones. 
Because he said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. Now, there, there's, a, uh, there's something called the Mizpah blessing. And it sounds so nice, right? May the Lord keep watch over you and me when we are away from together, when we are away from each other. This was not a blessing. <laughs> These were two guys who didn't trust each other. And what they're saying is this. God is watching you. And he's going to get you. If you break this covenant, this is, no, this is no blessing. These are legal words to a treaty. The stone here, you pass this stone and try to come and get me, God's got you. You mistreat my wives, my daughters, God's got you. Two men who, who really do not like each other anymore. Treaties made, they, they do the deal, and it's really a deal. It's, it's not, it's a, it says covenants, more of a, a legal treaty. And then early in the morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and daughters and blessed them. And then he left and returned home. Okay, there's the story. Three things to learn from it. Number one. Again, this is not rocket science here. Observations from this story. Number one. Everything you have comes from God. Everything you have. Those Laban years were tough for Jacob and his family. There was deception and dishonesty and jealousy and theft and animosity and mistrust and, and accusations. Great challenge, there were great challenges, and then at the same time, great blessings. He becomes exceedingly wealthy. Great challenges, great blessing. That's just got like life is, isn't it? But we see through that over and over that Jacob keeps saying, God is the one who gave me these things. God is the one who helped me. When he goes out into the fields to tell Rachel and Leah it was time to go, he says, you know, God was the one who caused those white sheep to do the speckled sheep. It was stupid for me to put those branches there. Again, I know that. But God's the one who did it. Everything comes from him. Laban even knew it. Laban even said, because you've been with me, God's blessed me. I'm the benefactor of this. I like like that your blessings kind of drip off on me. Everything we have comes from it. We know that, don't we? Right here. Man, it is hard to get it here. Three things, real quick. God owns all things. Three principles in Scripture about God's blessing us. God owns all things. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 24, 1. Psalm 50, for every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, the creature of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't have to tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Now, to be honest with you, I got no problem with that verse. When I go see a mountain, I say, that's God's. When I go stand before an ocean, I say, that's God's. I just have trouble with my stuff. (laughs) My money. My house. My cars. And the trouble is I put my before it. That's my first mistake. It's God's. From the dollars I hold in my hand to the dreams I hold in my heart belong to him. Everything I have is a gift from him. And it naturally follows then if everything I have is a gift from him, number two, everything, since he owns everything, number two, everything is a gift from him. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from God above. So if he owns everything, whatever I have is not mine anymore, right? It's his. He gave it to me. Why did he give it to me? That's the third point. Everything you have, God owns everything. 
Everything you have comes from Him. Therefore, everything you have should be used to honor God. Everything. You see, the sovereign God owns everything, chose you to give certain gifts to, sometimes great blessing, nothing wrong. I mean, we read from them, nothing wrong with having a, a lot of blessing from God, not at all. God does that with some people, blesses them tremendously financially. And when He does that, He does it for a purpose. He has a reason for it. He has a mission for you. Everything you have should be honored by God. Luke chapter 12, and again, whether you have a lot or a little. A lot or, by the way, you can have a lot or a little and still struggle with realizing that everything should be used by God. Luke chapter 12, for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. For the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. And that's like everything in life. So, so, so we, were able to, we were able to be used as instruments to give a sonogram to the money for, son, for 3D, 4D sonograms to the Pregnancy Resource Center, right? Now, much has been given there, and so now they have a responsibility to use that well. Whatever God gives us comes with responsibility. You guys know that. Everything, God owns everything. It's a gift from Him, and we got to use it. Man, if, so if we could actually move that from our head to our heart, that's a game changer. And you say, well, yeah, Ron, because you, you want the budget better at the chapel, right? Yeah, but that's not the reason I say that. It's not about the chapel's budget. It's about you and me and the idols we have in our life. You see, Jesus said, not me, but Jesus, long before the Bible chapel existed, you can't serve God and money at the same time. You can't do that. Can't serve the God of money, and you can't serve the living God. You got to make a decision. So when I say that, it's not about us having more money at the Bible chapel. It's about us as believers individually putting down the idol of money and bowing before the living God. And only you can do that with your checkbook. That's it. So how you doing? Everything's a gift from God. Secondly, everything you have is a gift from God, not the result of your own, my own limited abilities. Let's, by the way, businessmen and businesswomen, this is a passage to study, man. This is a great story to study. Let's just talk to businessmen and businesswomen for a while. How you compete in the marketplace, how you choose to compete in the marketplace is critical to your faith. How you, your demeanor, your attitude, your language, your deal-making, how you choose to compete is critical to your faith. See, God's with you, right? Do you believe that? He's going to take care of you. He says, I've never seen a righteous man go hungry or his children begging for bread. In fact, I will bless you. And I'll bless you so much, others around you will be blessed. Your business will be blessed because I'm going to bless you. You don't have to play the game of the fallen world. You don't have to fight fire with fire. You don't try to have to outwit everyone in your business deals. You don't have to use deception for deception. God is with you. 
You, you can't be a hand-raising worshiper on a Sunday morning and a foul-mouthed cutthroat making deals like the world through the week. Those things don't match up. How you do business is a demonstration of your faith. And you say, run, 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 run. You're a pastor. You work here at the church. I work in the real world. I hate it when people say that, by the way. Don't say that to me. I work in the, <laughs> I work in the real world, and it's cutthroat out there. And you got to meet people where they are, and you got to be tough, and you got to use their language, and you got to play their game. You see, this ain't church. It ain't church out there. Really? I thought it was. I thought wherever you are as a believer, that's church. I thought wherever you are as a believer, you're a pastor. Remember? Let's get paid to do this. Thankfully, called to do this, but you're as much a pastor as I am. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And, and, and I hear business people saying that sometimes. Yeah, when they do work in the church. Yeah, this is the way we do it in the church. You know, we've got to be careful with all these church people. But in the business, man, they go after it. Time out. Well, you're like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? Aren't you the same person? Maybe that's why people have trouble with you. See, when you're out there, how you live your life is critical to your faith. So I got to watch it when I'm driving around town. I used to drive around town and honk at people. People don't know how to drive around here. <laughs> but then it was some of you. <laughs> so I had to stop doing that. <laughs> and what's going to happen is, businessmen and women, that, that, if you're going to be deceitful, that person is going to show up here one day and you're going to look over the, over the congregation and you say, oh my goodness. I got to get out of here fast today. I'm going to leave during the last song. I got to get out of here. I don't want to see that person. Or I've heard people say, hey, can you believe it? I did business. That guy was at church today. It's like such a disconnect. Are there going to be Labans in your life? Yeah. In everybody's life. God's going to take care of you. You don't have to do the custom superstition stuff. God had to look down. God had to just laugh when Jacob is peeling off the bark of the tree and saying, yeah, you've got to be kidding me. He's using that superstitious stuff. I'm going to bless him. I got, it, I got his back. I got it taken care of. He can trust me. He can do it my way. All human effort has to be in line with God's teaching, God's word. It's not your bargaining. At the end of the day, yeah, you're sharp people, I get it, well-trained, skilled, and yeah, God uses us as instruments. I get that. But at the end of the day, if He doesn't show up, nothing happens. He is the source of success, true success, the source of blessing. And then it goes back, doesn't it? It comes from Him. How are we going to use it for Him? Last one. You can depend on God to protect you. God's got your back. How many times in this passage do we read, uh, God is the one who blessed me? Laban even said, Jacob, God's blessing you, and I'm getting the blessing. I don't want you to leave because I want God to keep blessing you so I get some of the blessing. I got the fallout. 
How many times does God say, I'm going to be with you? That was back in chapter 28 when he told him that you're going to come back here one day. I'm going to be with you. 20 years later, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to make sure I got you covered. I know how Laban is. You're living for 20 years. You're going to live in deception and jealousy, and, and, and it's, going to be, it's going to be kind of nasty. And you're going to feel it, but I got you covered. You can trust me. You still need to make the treaty. You still need to do the deals, but do it my way because I'm always going to be the one. I'm even the one. Laban was, Jacob, Laban was coming to wipe you out, but I stopped him in a dream and said, you don't touch him. I got you covered. I got you covered. You believe that? You believe that God's going to protect you. Going to watch out for you, even in the tough times even with the tough people, even when it seems that you're being taken advantage of. Boy, that's a tough place to be, isn't it? But God's going to take care of you. So the question is, what is God teaching me through this? What do I need to learn? I know God has my back. Maybe some of you have a meeting with Laban Monday morning. How are you going to respond? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna lower yourself and your Christian standards to meet them where they are? The world, that's the way the world does it. Are you going to raise it up? And you're going to be able to say, God has my back. I love this passage from Isaiah. I'm going to close with this. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. God says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I love that. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You belong to me. I got you covered. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they'll not sweep you away. When you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Your what? Your Savior. I redeemed you. I'll take care of everything else. I got your back.